Well, it sure seems nice to be here with you again. Trace and I really feel blessed that we're able to be here and just spend some time with you again. You know, we we're here in July and we begin to meet a few of you. And so we, I'm sad to say I've had to ask a few of you, what is your name again? I'm supposed to be, you know, when you see your pastor, you're supposed to do all these things, right? You're supposed to connect a name with something so you remember? Well, I do it sometimes pretty well and other times not so well. Anyways, it's great to be here with you. We have had, a, I think, a, from our perspective, hopefully a, a fruitful time as we've spent some quite a bit of time this week with your leadership and your staff. Now, our, what we want to do is help, you know, and, and make this the transition of change all that God intends us to be. So we've tried to do that. We've talked about the leadership team uh, with your leadership and your staff. And this would include some of you that are in ministry areas of leading through change, leading through change. So we've talked about the challenges. We've talked about the responsibilities. There are some dangers we need to be aware of. And we also talked about the opportunities. So today I'd like to pick up with that and talk with you just simply about going through change. All right, just going through change as, as you are in that, in that place of feeling the change. And let me ask you a question. How many like change? Let me see all those hands. I see those hands. You don't believe me, do you? <laughs> let me try to see. How many like change? I see one hand. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Such as it is, we're all creatures kind of with the same characteristic, you know. We get comfortable and we like it. I have this chair at home. I love that chair. It makes me comfortable. How many have a comfortable chair that you don't want to change? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I understand. But here's the reality. God brings change. And, and we can ask ourselves a question even as we think of our comfort. Why does God stir us up, make us uncomfortable, and bring change? Why? Why does he do that? Sometimes the, the answer is obvious, but a lot of times it's not so obvious. I mean, when things are going well, there's no need for change. We're learning, Lord. We're listening. We understand. And yet the Lord brings change. And I want to suggest to you that it's because at its deepest roots, the gospel is about change. At its deepest root, it is a, the gospel is a gospel of change. The kingdom of God is about change. Are they, I need to ask a question. Are you always quiet? Should I do something to make you laugh or go... Don't agree with that? Okay, I just need to know so I know how to kind of play back and forth here, okay? Because it's all right if you, you say, no, I don't believe that. Just say it quietly. <laughs> but I mean, I want you to understand. Think about it with me. The kingdom of God brings change. It is not change to come into a new place and quit change. It's perpetual change, and it will be until the time Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom. Amen? So change, being made uncomfortable when we arrive at a certain place, is normal to the gospel. If you will, it's the genetic code 
of the gospel. How many think about DNA? What's that mean to you? What does DNA mean? If we think about DNA, that has a whole lot to do with who we are. Isn't that right? All the details about our personality and all that. Boy, the DNA is just full of all the information that makes us who we are. Amen? Okay. The DNA of the Holy Spirit is within every one of us. Okay? We all have the same spirit. And the DNA of the Holy Spirit is about bringing to place the kingdom of God to fill the earth. Remember that? Jesus said that. How does he do it? Through us. And so there's, if you will, this is one of those words that sometimes people say, oh, I'm not called to be that. That then, that at its deepest roots, the church ought to be missional in nature. I didn't say we all have to be missionaries. Neither do we all have to be in missions. But by nature, if the spirit of the living God is within us, we ought to be missional. Do you understand what I'm saying? We ought to not be satisfied with the status quo. And we will know that if things get too comfortable, nothing's happening, something's wrong. Because God wants to keep moving us forward. How many can say amen to that? Okay, so don't let that word scare you. Just understand, that's, that's the gospel. Let me ask you, if, if you were to try to define who, what being, what person would be the greatest missionary, who would you think? Jesus. Amen. Jesus has a missional heart. He's the greatest missionary. You ever think about that? Jesus is the greatest missionary. His mission, which we have has been committed to us, continues until the time he comes back. So we don't want to settle down and, and forget that and get too comfortable because that's dangerous. The gospel is about change and sometimes it's about disruption and upheaval. Look what it did in the days of Jesus. Look what it's done at times in the history of the church since. And maybe you've even experienced some of that. Times when you've seen it right here or or maybe in a previous experience that when the gospel began to take hold in people's lives, there were some of the the society around us going, wait a minute, what are you doing? It created upheaval. People got upset. Anybody ever get upset at at you and your experiences with the Lord? <laughs> I hear a few. It's okay if you lift your hands, laugh. It's okay. It's, it happens, right? If we're involved in what God is doing, that's going to happen sometimes. That's just part of our experience. The gospel, the kingdom of the God, the gospel, of the kingdom is about, if you will, com- extreme transformation. Extreme transformation. So I'm, I'm just keep using words to kind of help you kind of get the idea of what I'm, I want to share with you this morning. What I'm going to do, actually, in a, moment, in a few moments here, I'm going to use the parable of the Good Samaritan to illustrate this. So we'll come back to that, okay? So you'll know that's going to come in a, in a few moments here. And it's interesting to me, when I think about the, the, the metaphors that Jesus used for the church, that they're all organic. Think about it. What did he call the church? He called it the body. He called it the bride. He said, we are the branches. Now, what's, what's true about organic is that it's living. Organic is alive. And wherever there's life, there's change. There's always stuff going on. Amen? Is that right? 
So his metaphors, <coughs> excuse me, his metaphors or for the church are about something that's alive. Something that's alive that will represent ongoing change. All right? Now, tragically, sometimes, let me say this, that then, by, by my nature of that, there's a lot of complexity, but there's unity in it. How is that? So if we're the branch, or if we're the body of Christ, we are, we're part of that. There is unity by virtue of the life flow, flow the DNA that we all share of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay? Yet we're extremely different. We need needs to fill, find our place to, to function and be a part of that. So we exchange life. We're different, yet we're unified by the Spirit. But tragically, from my observation, sometimes the church has sought to create uniformity and disregarded unity. Do you understand what I mean by that? Everybody understand that? Uniformity in lieu, in lieu of unity. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uniformity is we need to be all the same. We have a denominational history that illustrates those, those tendencies. We need to be careful of that because where uniformity sets in, if, if we're the branch and there's life flowing, there's unity because the same life flows through us. But when uniformity sets in, actually the life begins to stop flowing. And it begins, if you will, the beginning of the process of dying. You've seen, have you seen trees out in the prairie that, 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 are, that are there that have died? There's a, sometimes there's a uniformity to the, the appearance, but there is no life. Does that make sense to you? Everybody, you're with me? I'm speaking of some concepts here, trying to help you think with me, about what God is doing, why he brings change. You remember I asked you how many like change, and I only saw one hand go up. So there's a few of you at least that might... This might be helpful because we are going through change. Sometimes the change is more significant than others. But change is a part of what God does. <clears throat> I, get, I remember when Teresa and I, when, we, when the Lord Jesus first revealed himself to us. And I say that intentionally. So many people say, well, I, when I came to the Lord, the truth is I didn't come to Jesus. He came to me. Amen. So when he revealed himself to us, this was back in the early 1970s. And that was kind of the time when the Vietnam War was winding down. And if you were old enough to go through that, you remember all the upheaval in our country. So many of our young men fled to Canada to get out of the draft. Others like myself got caught in the draft and went through some things. So this is a bit after that, and the, the whole hippie movement had arisen across the country. How many remember that, even here in the Midwest? Yeah. <clears throat> well, because of our, our, my experiences, our experiences, why we were hungering for who God is, God, whoever you are. Okay. We became, and I worked on a grant, I grew up on a farm, we worked in the farm, I, lived, I worked a lot of hours, but I more identified with the, the alternative culture, which at the time was the hippie movement. All right? So I had a big beard and a lot of hair. Some of you are looking, yeah, I don't believe that. <laughs> it's really not true. I'm just kidding you. 
My wife has, she wouldn't let me get away with that. But here's the thing. When Jesus came to us and revealed himself, we were transformed. I tell you, I am so grateful that at that time, he helped us to see the kingdom of God. The thing that disappointed us about Christianity, we both thought we were Christians from earlier years earlier, but there was a disappointment because it was too small. The story was too small. And when, we, when he came to us, we got a revelation of the kingdom of God. It transformed our lives. And thank God, these 36 years later, it still works. It still maintains us. <clears throat> but as we were, this was happening, and how many of you know Dwayne and Sue Kirshner? Well, Dwayne was the one that led us to the Lord. He and I had gone to college back in the 1960s. And God did a marvelous thing and brought us back together. Well, we were looking for a church because the church in Roselle, Kansas was saying, where are you? And he was with us. So we looked for a church. And I remember this. I will never forget this. How wonderful it was. This, in the area we lived, this was the first charismatic church in the valley. And, we, and it was actually a retreat center and a church. We went into the front door. And there was two young people standing there. They looked just like us. He had a big, a lot of hair, big beard, shining for Jesus. And we felt so happy. You know, it's like, wow, we're not the only ones. Because we're on the ranch that I live on, the farm's 20 miles out in the country, so you, know, you can think that sometimes, you know. But what was really, really, really precious is right next to them were another couple. They were at that time, where they're in their mid-60s, I would say, maybe close to 70. And they had, their background was Lutheran, Missouri Synod Lutheran. They'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. And they stand there, and they made us feel just as welcome. What a contrast in those days in church. And I tell you, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. There was such a sweet fragrance there. I have no doubt that there was a sweet incense before the Lord and a sweet fragrance to everyone that came in. What a wonderful blend. But think of the change that took place to make that possible. Can you imagine now, if you were Christians back in the 19, early 1970s, if you were alive, what happened that that had been your church? I'm saying to him, I don't know about this. <laughs> exactly, huh? Exactly. It would have been hard for some of us. And yet, God was doing something there that was radical change. He was saving people. Thank you. He was saving people from such an alternative lifestyle, and he was putting by his same spirit. Were they, was there uniformity? Not even close. But man, was there unity by that sweet spirit of the Lord. And I tell you, God has always wants to keep doing those kinds of things. Sometimes it looks different, but he's always wanting to move forward. So we need to go, hallelujah. Even if it makes us a little uncomfortable... We need to embrace it because God's always looking to do things that we can't even imagine, which we'll never see if we will not embrace change. Amen? Now, if I ask again, how many more? How many of you, how many of you like change now? Hey, hallelujah. Look around. There's 20 or 30 hands. <laughs> That's so I want to encourage you to see that. You know, it was such a blessing. It's like there was a manifested presence of the Lord. The fellowship was sweet. We saw many healings. God did miraculous things. 
it made me think of that scripture. This is the first scripture we're going to look at. That Jesus said, I, I, I look at this and I still remember this. What did he say? A new commandment I give to you. A new commandment. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You, also are, lo- you are also to love one another. By this, it says, all men will know that you are my disciples. Isn't, don't we want to be a witness to the world? Don't you want to be a witness to your neighbors? Amen? It's going to come back to this. This incredible body of Christ that life flows through that has unity when we surrender to the Holy Spirit and don't try to block that. And it's so rich that it's the greatest witness of the world. What is the foundation? Love. Amen? It's the foundation of love. So we experience that. So now you're in a season of what I would think is pretty significant change. How many feel that the process of change is pretty significant for you in these days? Yeah, amen. I understand that. And I do empathize with those that are, you know, a little unsure. I empathize. But I want to encourage you this morning. I want you to know how God is always changing. And He is still the one we look to. He's in control of what's going on if we'll just allow Him and trust Him. Amen? So I want to encourage you in this season of change. It's, and listen, change doesn't mean any condemnation of the past. It's not, a, it's not looking back and like, ah, that's the same one. We don't do it anymore. No. Change just talk, talks about being healthy and prepared to be relevant for the present and the future. That's all it means. If you've been around enough to see culture change, my goodness, think of the change we've seen. Supposing that we were doing today using the resources that we had 50 years ago when I was a boy, a young man. Supposing we were using those today to do the things that we do today and everybody else was using what today offers. Can you imagine how that would affect the way you do business? The way you communicate, the way you bank, the way you live? All right, let's, let's, let's just for a moment. How many, have, how many use cell phones? <laughs> okay, let's supposing I, find, I give you a basket and I say, you're going to have those cell phones. Why don't you go for a week without using a cell phone? Hey, you got by great. Previously, what's the problem? <laughs> We're not so willing to do that. <laughs> but it, it, it does serve as an illustration, doesn't it? An illustration. So that's what God is doing. He knows that He needs to keep by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, moving us and, and changing us to, so that we, without condemning the past, we're more prepared for the present and the future. That's health. That's preparation. So you know what I think? I think that God, and I really believe this, folks, because in my heart, over these last few years, we've cried, I've cried out to the Lord, Jesus and I prayed, Lord, show us, help us to understand how to help churches, good churches like New Covenant, with good people. Everybody I've talked to, you are precious, precious saints. You, you delight me when I'm with you. It's a pleasure. God is, needs good churches. And honestly, I think He needs churches that are not too big because mega churches present other issues. I feel like He needs churches perhaps the size of New Covenant, smaller, bigger, but not mega churches, if you will. Because there's more life flow, more can happen in a church like this, generally speaking, that can happen in a bigger church. How many know that? We've been a part of a church that's 10,000 in San Diego one time. There was no way there could be a connectivity in that body. Just too many dynamics. It's a good church. 
here's what I think. I think God is giving you an invitation. He's coming to you, even though you might not have thought of this before, I would believe that the Lord would come to each one of you, from you, my dear sister, to each one of you, irrespective of age. It's for the youngest child, to the precious teenagers, to the oldest. He's saying, he's giving you an invitation, will you come with me? This is a journey into a new transition, this new change, which means new life. Do you hear what I'm saying? It, do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Then I'm going to ask you, how many of you would be willing to take the invitation of God? Are you willing? Even if it makes you uncomfortable? Even if he does some things you don't think he should do? Were you willing to do that? Most of you, I think, are. Some of you, are not, you're, you're not so sure. God, I hope, I hope that as it goes on, the Holy Spirit. Let me pray with for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these precious, precious brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for them, Lord. Thank you for the ones that have got years of experience. And they've seen a lot of things and they've walked through. Thank you for their experience and their wisdom. And then, Father, thank you for the younger ones who have passion and vision and energy. Thank you for them, Lord. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just move across this room like you alone can do. Like when we were singing a while ago, we began to feel we were lifted up. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. Move across this room and touch our hearts and open our hearts and minds to, to hear your voice. You know how to speak to each one of us. Help us to hear your voice, Lord. Help us to hear your voice. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. I really believe God has given you an invitation. And that's more than anything else. That's what I want you to see today. We're going to look at the parable of the sower very momentarily. And how that provides an illustration, I think, is a good illustration of this. But if you will, I want to tell you this morning, if I could tell you this morning, God is giving you an invitation to come on. He wants to bring something brand new. And I know it's scary for some of you, but do we trust the Lord or not? The more experience we have, the more we ought to trust Him. He's never failed me. Has He ever failed any of you? Okay, so I think the invitation, and so the next scripture that comes to mind is, I remember this, if we're going to respond to this invitation, we need to know this. We need to anchor ourselves in this. John fifteen five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We can't do anything apart from him. If God is moving us forward, we need to move with him. The Holy Spirit, we were talking the other day, yesterday or the day before about how the Holy Spirit moves. And that sometimes the Holy Spirit's like a river. Did you ever think about that? Yeah. And sometimes we don't mean to. We get comfortable in the way the river's going. And the, Holy, the river turns. If that's the Holy Spirit, if that's a, a picture of the Holy Spirit, we need to be tuned in when the Holy Spirit's turning. Or we're going to wind up on dry land. We're going to miss that. And so we, man, if that happens... Where are we going to be abiding? <laughs> I don't want to abide in the dryness of my own soul, my own limitations. Anybody here want to do that? No, we want to abide in Jesus, don't we? Amen? We want to abide in Jesus. So let's make sure that we're willing to go with the move of the Holy Spirit. And then we need to remember this, that we did not choose him, but he chose us. Sometimes when I've been, when I've been in those times and, and we've just struggled and not been sure exactly what we should or shouldn't do. 
I said, Lord, I am so glad you chose me. And I didn't choose you. Amen? It's good to know that he chose us, and he knew what he was getting before he chose us. And I can see that I'm not the only one that has those kind of feelings. All right, so... What we want to do then is, here's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We're going to look at the parable of the sower momentarily now. The Lord wants to, and I want you to catch this phrase, He wants to keep refreshing us and moving us forward at an important time for you as you go through this. Because He wants to, wants to keep, He wants to help you avoid into this trap. The trap is that we get really used to doing church and we quit being the church. He wants the new covenant to be the church. It's not just do church. Do you understand the difference? Please hear that. In the last year or two, a couple of years, we've, we've met with some pastors, different ones we know, and in two different situations, just because of life, because of economic situations, they were saying, well, we don't know what God wants us to do. We don't know where to go from here. You ever feel that way? You know, get uncertain, confused. And even thinking maybe we should just not do this anymore. And so my question to them, and I would give it to you, and I said, well, ask yourself, is the Lord finished with what he wants to do here? Has he done what he wants to do? Because if he has, the way I feel, I don't know how you feel about this, but if God doesn't want something, a ministry of church to continue, if he's finished, I say hallelujah. What difference does it make? He, our legacy will not be in the structure we have. Our legacy will be in what we put in the lives of people. That's what matters. And I've talked to the, we talked to these two different pastors, and I said, you know, if you're finished, don't feel guilty. I don't care what the model of our country is, what success in Success is finishing what God's called you to do. Right? I don't think you feel like God's finished. <laughs> okay. I told him, I said, the real issue is what you want to do is just be the church of God. Be the church. Don't worry about doing church. That's what I would tell you. Be the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? Be the church. That makes sense to you? Okay, well then, what I'd like to do is I'm going to look at the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Turn there and look at a few things. And I chose this, particularly, you might, if you know this parable of the Good Samaritan, you might, you might ask yourself, why? <laughs> what has this got to do with change? Okay. Well, a few things about, about the parables. That Jesus used, to, used parables to challenge people. Think with me. We'll come back to this. We're going to go through this verse by verse. He did what? He used the parables to challenge people to make decisions regarding the gospel of the kingdom, which required change. Do you agree with that? He used parables... To, to give a story as an illustration which required people to respond. And it may change. Okay? So this is one of those stories. This is, this is a good one. I like this one. I think, it illust- I think it illustrates several things. I think, first of all, that it, it can teach us the danger, and I'm going to use, uh, use the illustration of the Jewish community here, that it, it illustrates the insincerity that the Jewish community had in his time. You're, if you know the parable of the Good Samaritan, 
we'll see this as unfold. I think, number one, that it illustrated to them why they said they were the people of God. There was a, there was a real insincerity to it. When the test came, it didn't stand up. Number two, I think it clearly illustrates how the gospel of the kingdom changes who God's people are. If you remember, they were very comfortable. We're the people of God. But that was changing. Why were they doing that? Because of their heritage and so forth, right? And so number three, I, I think that it shows that genuine love is the only foundation for the kingdom of God. Heritage is not enough, as we'll see with the victim in this story. He had Jewish heritage, but it wasn't good enough. Knowledge was not enough, as illustrated by the lawyer, Okay? And religion was not enough, as illustrated by the priest and the Levite. You understand what I'm saying? So all this wasn't good enough. So let's look, then, at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Make sure you see, I'm trying to read without putting my glasses on. You know, we're all a little vain, so... So I'm going, can I read this or not? I'm not sure. <laughs> the parable of the Good Samaritan. I love this parable. And the good Lord just keeps speaking to me out of this. So let's pick up in verse 25. I'm going to read through verse 28. And so in verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, this is Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Okay? So, that, so this lawyer comes to him. Now, in those days, the, by this time, the Pharisees, the pharisaical system had developed about 613 laws. So you can remember when Jesus talked about, he said, take my, my burden, my yoke for us easier. Think about it. He boiled all, all 613 of those down to two. And you remember that the, the, the leaders would sometimes walk around with a box on their forehead. You probably know the story. And they would have this box with, with, with different commandments written in it. And they were bearing this. So by contrast, you can imagine people thinking, how in the world could we ever carry all this and remember it? He said, here's the bottom line. Do these two things. And if you know about the book of Leviticus a bit, I can tell you the book of Leviticus, Leviticus basically says the same thing, whether you know it or not. The first 17 chapters of the book of Leviticus deal with priestly ministry and how the Israelites could approach God in a proper way, have the right sacrificial system, and be able to come in to express their worship and their dedication to God, if you will, their love of God. That's the first 17 chapters. And when you pick up in chapter 18 and go through the chapter 27, it totally changes. Now it's how you love and treat other people. It talks about your neighbor and all the ways to treat that. It talks about the needy. It talks about the poor. It talks about the strangers. And so Jesus knows that. He, he summarizes that. Okay, so know that background as you look at this. So the, this lawyer who's an expert, expert in the law, he knows the 613, and Jesus says, do these two things. So the lawyer somewhere has heard this, that it's these two things, okay? He's boiled it all down, even though he knows all the rest. 
You remember when Jesus, when he, another time when he was talking to the Pharisees, they were challenging him. He said the same thing. And then he said this, all the law and all, all that it requires are fulfilled in these two things. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. So the lawyers asked. Jesus said, just do this. That's all you've got to do. And what did he ask him? He says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life is the question. This is how it's done. All right? That's the setting here. So, <coughs> excuse me. So we might ask ourselves a question. How would we have responded in response to what Jesus said? What would you do if Jesus said that, if you had been in that conversation? Try to put yourself in that situation. How would you have responded? All right. there, is the, there was the choice, and this is what the lawyer is facing, to, res, to respond to the principle of the law or the principle of love. Let's see what happens. So we pick up in verse uh, 29 and 30. Jesus replied, so the question is, who is my neighbor now? I want to have eternal life. He says, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. I want to stop there for a moment. So here's, here's the illustration. Who is your neighbor? He asked Jesus. We can ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? So Jesus begins to tell him. There is this person. Now, because he's, Jesus is speaking to the Jewish community, we know beyond a doubt this is a Jewish man. If he had said it was, if, if, if it had been a Gentile, Gentile man at that point, it would have made no significance to the lawyer. You see, he wasn't. At that time, they didn't think Gentiles could be saved. They were not part of the covenant. So Jesus chooses a Jewish man so that he can make this man think, relate to him. There is a man, a Jewish man going down. And he is robbed. That's your neighbor. And here's what, they, what happened to this. And this is what happens to us sometimes. Even in the process of saying, yes, Lord, we want to follow you. Yes, Lord, we're willing to let you change us and move us and do things to us, transform us. Sometimes the, answers, the answer we get is more than we want to hear. That's what happens to this lawyer. Have you ever asked the Lord, you to illustrate that, have you ever asked the Lord to show you something? Or say, Lord, change me. And what he shows you he wants you to do is more than you want to do. Anybody? That should be true for about most all of us, right? That's what happens here. This man, it says he wanted to justify himself. You ever want to justify yourself before the Lord? Come on now. We're all human frames. There's times that we may get in a situation and I want to justify myself. That's usually the time the Lord just does something to me. You know, some people, he pricks your conscience. Some people, he just speaks to you and say, this is the way I'm walking. Sometimes, some people, myself at times, he hits me up the side of the head with a two-by-four. That kind of thing. So here we have this situation. Who is my neighbor? The answer required more than he wanted to know. Okay. The, and then this is a life illustration that could have easily happened. That was a very dangerous road. If you go back and read in, um, in um, Josephus or one of the books of history, you find out that was a very dangerous place. So it was a, not an uncommon reality. It was an illustration of life. All right? So 
So as that's happening then, he says, and the robbers came, and this is what they did. Now, who are the robbers of this story? The robbers are just those who exploit others any way they can. Okay? I'm, trying to, I'm going to identify each of the characters because they represent us, too. Who are we in this story? Some of you are already imagining, oh, I know who I'm with. I am. I'm the Samaritan. Hallelujah. <laughs> we all want to be the Samaritan, <laughs> for sure. But the robbers, now this matters because God is speaking to the church as well. The Lord speaks to us, doesn't he, through these parables. So where is the church? Well, here's what I sometimes think. If the robbers are those who exploit others in the way, any way they can, then does the church ever do that? Do we ever do that? A couple of years ago, we were in the... You know, and what happens when, you're, um, when you feel exploited? It, you feel violated, don't you? Sometimes it brings shame and guilt. A couple of years ago, we were traveling. We were coming home from Malaysia. We were in the airport. And we were sitting there. We were getting ready to fly out. We'd been gone about seven or eight weeks, ready to come home. And my wife was sitting with a group of people. I'm upstairs, finished getting the tickets. And somehow in that group of people, somebody came and stole her purse. And I mean, she, when you travel, that's where she keeps all her precious things. Thank God I had the passports who wouldn't be able to leave. But I mean, they got money, credit cards, jewelry, cell phone, you name it, glasses. Why did she feel violated? It's horrible when that happens. It's a violation when you're robbed. It's a terrible feeling. I remember years ago when we first lived in Mexico and in Muslim, we were down there helping, beginning to set up and establish the church. We were getting ready to leave the next day to come back to the States because if you're out you had to come up and renew your visas. In the morning, we were going to go out and leave. Now, our, we're ready to go. You know, van's parked out there. We've been living there. We know our neighbors. We come out in the morning, and the first thing I see is the door to the van is open. Oh, my word. Somebody had gone in there. Some, some came from another area, and they'd op- they opened the van. They tore the seats up. They took everything that wasn't attached, along with the radio and all that. It was, matter of fact, we had to drive 800 miles in Mexico, and we didn't have any papers. We didn't have car papers or visas. So we were doing a lot of praying. We go through the inspection stations. Lord, close your eyes. Close your eyes. What a violation. Now, church, I think sometimes we do the same thing. And if we're going to move forward in what God's going to do, we've got to be willing to confess and ask forgiveness if we've done it. What kind of things? Have you ever gossiped about anybody? Have you ever said anything behind their back? Have you ever done anything to divide the church, to hurt somebody? Most of us have one time or another. That's robbing people. You agree with that? If I say something about my brother, I'm picking on you today. I'll pick on Dale. If I say something about you that's not true, that is dishonest, but I've created it, and pretty soon 20 or 30 people hear about that, they start to wonder, well, what is Dale doing? How, you, know, you, know how that, you know how that happens in church? I'll tell you what, that, that is wickedness before the Lord, and it divides the body, and it breaks the true unity of the Spirit, which is what God requires us to have when we're going to move forward in what He wants to do. We need to repent of that. That's true. So sometimes I think we rob too, whether we mean to or not. Okay, let's read the next, the next couple of verses, 31 and 32. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So now we have, if you will, the, the religious leaders of the community in this illustration as Jesus is answering the question, who is your neighbor? Okay? Well, we, we think of the priest in those days. The priest was what? He was a servant between God and the people. Is that right? It was his priestly ministry. All right? Probably, to some degree, he felt a little superior to most people. Sometimes in the church, I've, I've seen people in ministry that I, I felt that's kind of how they felt. A little superior to the average parishioner. Then there's the Levite. The Levite was the caretaker of the temple and the law. That was his responsibility. Okay? And he had, he could have, either one of them could have made excuses. Um, they could have said, well, what if he dies? I mean, then I'd be unclean and I'd have to go through this whole ritual of getting clean again. So, whatever they were thinking, that could be one excuse, okay? They could have said, what if the robbers are coming back? I mean, they might still be lurking out there. Could be. Anyways, whatever their motivation, whatever caused them to do that, whatever reason, motivation, what do they do? So here's the road. This is the road. And this guy's laying right here, maybe. This, this man's laying right here, and he's a mess. He's a Jewish brother. He's a Christian brother or sister. Now, I don't know him. And he's not like me. He's not all holy because he's not a priest or a, you know, he's not a priest or a Levite. So I just kind of ignore him, you know, like I didn't see him. You ever do that? You ever get put in a situation you don't want to really deal with and you kind of turn pretend you didn't see it? Come on now. Come on. How many are honest to say, yeah, I've done that a time or two. You know, you just don't want to deal with it. But you really know you should. Years ago, we were in, we were in uh, the city of Madras. It's now called Chennai, which is in southern India. And we were walking with, we'd worked there with a pastor and his family for about 22 years now. This was maybe 10 years ago, 11, 12 years ago. I don't remember. But we were walking down the street. How many of you have ever been to India? You ever walked down the streets? My goodness. I don't know what cities you're in, but if it's a big city, there are so many people suffering so much, it's staggering. It's staggering. I, we'd been in Mexico. We'd been to the city dump. We'd seen it. We thought we'd seen a lot. And we hit India. We're like, oh, my. There's a hundred times what we've seen. And yet the people are so precious. They can just see through all that. All right. So anyways, we were walking, myself and Teresa and another pastor friend of ours and his wife, we were walking with a local pastor. And this man's a good man. But here's what happens. Sometimes we get tradition built into the way we think. And it's, we really think it's, we may think it's doctrinal. We may think it's biblical. But it's just tradition. We were walking down and there was a man in the street sitting there. He was a beggar. He couldn't really walk. He had a little tray, a wooden tray on one post. And he had fruit in it. And he's trying to sell a little bit of fruit. So he gets something to eat. A policeman came by and kicked that thing and kicked it over. Fruit went all over the street and it was filthy. And this poor man's kind of fell over like this. And I'm thankful. I don't always do this. But I'm thankful. And this time I thought to do it. Myself and this other peddler hopped down in the street, immediately picked this up, set the man back up, and picked all this fruit up and put it back in this tree. 
the pastor was with us, he just was like, I don't believe this. And it, but the Holy Spirit got him. He said, oh, I never thought to do this because our tradition says we do it this way. Which was the right way to do it? So we know that, don't we? Well, I believe that that's what the Lord has for the church. Those kinds of situations, too. So let me go, let me go on now. Let's we finish. We get close to finishing here. Let's look at the Samaritan. 33 through 35. So we pick up in 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. That's the same Greek word that was used for the compassion that Jesus used. If you study Greek and you look like in Matthew chapter 9, it talks about Jesus was moved compassion when he saw the multitudes. Same exact word. It's the kind of compassion. How many of you, how many of you sometimes are so hurting for somebody your stomach hurts? You know, you know you're so, feel so bad for them your stomach hurts? That's what it is. It's what I call gut-wrenching compassion. All right? So this Samaritan had that compassion. Verse 34, he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil on, oil on and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii, that's two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will pay when, you, when I come back. All right? Pause there. So here's somebody who is not a, not a, matter of fact, you know the animosity at that time between the Samaritans and the Jews. This man, this Jewish man, had no right to expect that Samaritan to help him. You understand what I'm saying? The animosity, the tradition that was rooted in, had no right to expect that to happen. And yet, realistically, he did what the priest and the Levite should have done. He did what they should have done. They did, he, there was no reason to expect him to do it, but he did it anyway. So what did he do? He did something, and if the way he did it, he was expecting nothing in return. You're, you understand? He's bandaged him up, put him in his hair. He's sacrificed. He's ran the risk that he's walking along. The robbers might come and beat him up, whatever. And this is something you don't want to slow down this road. You want to keep going. He takes him to the inn, sets him down, and then gives two days' wages. How many of us would give two days' wages to do this right now? How many know that's what, the, that's what Jesus would have us do? Yeah, of course. We understand that. And so, and so we see that there's a commitment. There's risk. There's risk to being a Samaritan. But a Samaritan represents that change that Jesus brought in. I mean, here's... The Jewish community, and he's got the, the best of the Jewish community illustrated, and they fail because they didn't love their neighbor as he defined them, as they said they loved the Lord. What a change to them. What a radical change this is. Can you imagine how they might have, if this lawyer might have been thinking like, oh my goodness, what's he saying? What's he implying here? What is this suggesting to us? We are the heirs of Abraham. The covenant's about us. And yet he's turning it upside down, right? Before this lawyer who knows all the law. And so, and I tell you, in the world today, in our country today, in the world today, there are a lot of philanthropic groups. There are a lot of huge corporations that are doing more to relieve the hurting and the suffering and the needy than churches. Did you know that? Brothers and sisters, we need to be a part of that. 
we need to be involved in that. It's critical for us if we're going to be a vessel for the gospel message. So verses 36 and 37. Which of these, now he's talking about the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and you do likewise. I can only imagine what that lawyer must have thought when Jesus took him, who knew all the law, knew so much, and said, go be like that Gentile over there. Do what he's doing. You'll understand it. I wonder if you would say that to the church today sometimes. What do you say to us, church, brothers and sisters, sometimes we've gotten, we've gotten so comfortable, <laughs> kind of familiar with our traditions and the way we think, that we think, well, we don't do that. There was a story that I read recently about a young six-year-old girl who was in Sunday school. And she, her name was Cassie, and she read this, and she was t- they were told the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so at the end of that, then she was asked, well, what, do you, what is it this story tells you? What do you get from this story? How do you respond? Here's what she said. She said, oh, if you see someone who is hurt, don't worry. Someone else will come along and help them. It's funny, but you know what? It pierces my heart a little bit, too. You find that to be true a little bit, too. Have you ever heard the expression... When we're in ministry, saying, well, that's not my responsibility. Or listen, that's not my ministry. What is our ministry? If we're going to be changers, what is our ministry? And so I think, I said earlier, I think God's given you an invitation. And this is not anything against what Dale and Teresa have done. As a matter of fact, we've talked. I think God has some neat things for them in the future. But he does move things along. And he changes and he stirs us up. Okay? He, he makes us uncomfortable because we get we like to be comfortable. We don't like change. We already said that. So what is our ministry? I know that I... Have you ever said that? That's not my ministry? Let me see those hands. Come on. Be honest. Have you ever said that's not my ministry? I see a few honest souls. I'm not suggesting you would lie. I was just saying you were being evasive. <laughs> okay, so he said, go and do likewise. All right, now, having looked at this story, who are you think you are in the story? Or may I ask, who do you think New Covenant represents in the story? Anybody? Nobody wants to answer that one. We don't like to say the Samaritan. But we don't want somebody else to hear us say that. All of the above. Yes. Who said that? Yeah, that's right, sister. I think sometimes we've been like it, a little bit of the above, you know, at times. I felt sometimes perhaps like that, that poor beggar was in the street in Chennai. I was a little bit like the Samaritan then. I, I don't remember all that we did to him after that. We just felt for him. And there's many stories. But other times I can tell you, it's like I've said, that's really not my ministry. But I tell you what, even more serious is I think this is this. There's something else. There's another uh, individual identified here, which I think speaks to the church. That's the innkeeper. Here's the here's what I think has happened to the church in the West. And I'm going to just speak to you from what I see right now. 
The church in the West, this is generally speaking, has gotten real comfortable being an innkeeper. We want to have everything great, prepared, nice, and so forth, so that people will come in. We say, sure, come on in. We'll fix you up. We'll, here we are. We'll love you. We'll lead you to Jesus. We'll do all this. We're happy to let people, to have people come in. But we're not very good at going out and getting them. And that's my, my sense is that, that, that that's gotten to be something the Lord wants to stir up in the American church. It's happening around. And so when it's happening in, your, in, a, in a church change, a change like you're going through now, I want to suggest to you the Lord wants to invite you and stir you up. I think the innkeeper, how many, how many bear witness that sometimes the church has an innkeeper attitude? Yeah. I don't, we don't want that, church. We don't want to have that. See, our challenge is to share the life-changing method. That's change. Notice that word change with a culture that's essentially lost interest in traditional church. Do you agree with that? Do you understand what I'm saying? We live in a culture that says traditional church, I'm not interested in it. But our, our challenge is to change this life-changing method, message that each one of us has experienced with this culture. And you know what? It doesn't matter if we've got a great message if nobody's listening. It doesn't matter. You know that every one of us is like a walking commercial for Jesus, one or the other. How many know that? How many, of us, how many would witness that, we're, that you belong to Jesus if asked that? Then I need to ask myself, well, what, kind, what am I advertising? If I'm a commercial with Jesus, what am I advertising? And I, as I've talked with a number of you and got to know you, I know, like me, you want to advertise Jesus as the powerful, life-changing, loving God that He is. Amen? That's what we want to do. You see, realistically, the gospel is a story. Through history, the most powerful element in culture has been the storytelling that goes on. The gospel is a story. I mean, we tell stories to our kids. It's, it's a story. It's a wonderful story. Okay, what, how, what do we need to do to make our story better than the other stories that culture is pouring on to people? You know, there's all kinds of stories out there. Pseudo-religious stories. There's, there's demonic uh, spiritual stories that are being poured out. What can we do to make our story a better story? I think... We let the Holy Spirit change us, move us, make us uncomfortable, stir us up, and bring us back to the foundation of being rooted only in His love, where real unity can take place. What do you think? You think that might be true? How many of you think sometimes? How many of you think it might be good to be stirred up a little bit in your own life personally? Just a little shaking up. Amen. See, it's not about what we do, it's about how our neighbors and culture perceive us. Who are we? It's about being church more than doing church. I want to ask the worship team to come back up as I close here. And I will tell you this much. Any personal influence that I or you have, any personal influence for God will be based upon an, an ever-present personal experience with God. I know that times the Lord has to refresh me and renew me. 
I remember years ago in our church, we had an experience. Where the Lord, we had a church about the size of this one. We, and the Lord stirred us up and reminded us of everything. Because he'd given us great favor. You've had favor here, amen? This is a good church. God has blessed you. Well, he blessed us too. And then he came along and began to shake us a little bit. And said, look, it's all about me, you know. So I want to I offer you this morning an invitation to let the Holy Spirit kind of refresh you, renew you. In an invitation that you're willing to follow him. That you're willing to take out. If it's as if Jesus was extending his hand to each one of you and saying, will you come now? Will you let me kind of shake things? Let me bring you through to brand something brand new. You've got tremendous heritage. You've got core values. Those, that's fine. But let me bring you to something new. All right. I, I really think this, brothers and sisters, as I finish. I really think that when a church, this is my, our experience, when a church has as much heritage and life experience as you have, things start to get in the way, start to clutter up. And God it periodically has to renew. This is New Covenant Church, amen? Not Old Covenant. New Covenant needs to be renewed periodically. Is that right? You understand what I'm saying? We take, when, we, when we take the sacrament, we're talking about that very thing. I want to suggest the Lord, and during these days, wants to create a New Covenant with New Covenant Church. And He wants to invite you all to come together and say, and, and if there's anything that's, that's got cluttered in your relationships... Old baggage. You know when you're, you know what it's, you know how it is when you're married. You've been married a long time. These little things get in there, and periodically you ought to go back and say, "Wait a minute, I'm sorry. We got to get this thing right." Uh, that happens to a church family too. I believe this morning the Lord would say, "Will you come to the cross? Will you come and meet me at the cross so that I can cleanse and re- refresh you and encourage you and inspire you to respond to what I'm doing?" How many? How many think that might be true? How many feel that it could be for you? Okay. Well, what I would like to do then is just go back into worship, and then uh, momentarily I'll just pray for you. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'd like to just invite you to do something. But let's just begin to worship a little bit as we close here.
If you feel the, the, the breath of God is moving upon you, how many want new power, new grace? We want that. If you feel that, then respond. Respond and surrender to the Lord. And if you would like to come forward and acknowledge that, come forward and I'll just pray for you as a group. We'll pray together as we continue to sing just a little bit more before we finish. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation from our Lord. He's saying, come, let me renew. Let me refresh. Let me cleanse and unite you afresh by my spirit for what I have for you, says the Lord. Father, I thank you. We thank you together. Let's lift our hands, all of us, even if you didn't come forward. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Let's present ourselves to the Lord. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, we are precious in the sight of God. We're all the same. And we come before you, Father. We recognize that. We're all the same, Father. And we ache and we desire to not be rooted in old habits or stuck in old ways. We desire, we ache to be refreshed by your refreshed by your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and cleanse us and wash us and fill us again. We desperately need more of you. We don't have enough, Lord. And Lord, as a church body, Lord, the things that are the uncertainties about the future, Lord, we confess those to you. If that's true of you, confess them. Give them to Jesus right now. Lord, Lord, we've been not happy about the, transla- about the transition. If that's true of you, give it to Jesus because he's in the middle of this. This is his doing. If you've been hurt by an offense from somebody, give it to Jesus now. Let it go. Let it be a cleansing. The Holy Spirit will cleanse you if you'll repent of that and give it to him. If you have accused or gossiped or said something about somebody you should have never sinned, 
Now is the time. Give it to Jesus. Let it go. Lay it down. Let the blood of Jesus cleanse afresh. And the Holy Spirit wash you anew. Every one of us. Even if you didn't come forward, you can still come forward if you want to. Whatever thing, Lord, is, is in the midst of this body that has caused division or harm or hurt people. Lord, this day, Father, cleanse us. Help us to repent and turn loose of everything. Every hurt. I don't care what it is. The Holy Spirit is here. He's, he is more than able through His power and His grace to cleanse, refresh, and make new. That you can be, that we can be the people of God in this place, in this hour, that He wants to empower fresh. That you can be in this place for what He has called you to do in this new season. Hallelujah. Let's worship a little bit more. Let's worship the Lord. Stay with me. Yeah, yeah, jealousy. Oh, yeah, gives you a word. I'll just hand you this one. As we were um, this morning, as before the Lord, as we were worshiping this morning, I felt the Lord gave me a, a very vivid picture and that he gave me a word, but he restrained me. He would not allow me to share the word. And the picture that I saw were we used to live up in Kansas and there were the, the open, open fields, especially in the winter. But periodically, because they didn't want the wind to come in an area, they would build a windbreak. And as we were worshiping this morning, I saw we were singing this very song and saying, wind, blow, blow, wind of God, blow on me. And But I saw very clearly that there were some wind breaks. 
and and I knew that the Lord wanted to remove those breaks, but but I didn't. I did not feel the liberty to share it. And so when they started singing this song again, immediately that came back to my mind. And then the Lord showed me another picture, and it was just the open fields, but I didn't see the windbreaks. And I felt that he spoke to me that he's been, he's had his Holy Spirit chainsaw this morning and he's been doing some clearing and he's broken down some windbreaks and that will allow the, the Spirit of the Lord to move and the wind of the Lord to blow in a greater way in our midst. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Let me encourage you, by faith, just walk in, walk in what God is doing. Just continue to thank Him. Continue to thank Him and walk in it. Take the time to look at each other differently. Take the time to love each other more. To share your lives together. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless this church. He has a richness for you that's new to you. He wants to bless you. So take the time to stand and walk in faith. Hold each other's arms. Go to each other and love each other and and help share. And, And if you can minister healing, minister healing. Whatever needs to be done. Healing, uh, whether it means confession or, or, or just, just holding an arm, whatever. Do it in Jesus' name. God wants to do something gracious, and He's preparing you. So bless you, bless you. Father, I pray, Teresa, and I pray, you will pour out by your Spirit more blessing, more than this body can imagine, on everyone that's here. On everyone that's here. Oh, Father, thank you. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Senor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless you. Bless you, each one, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to let your pastor dismiss you. Father, we just thank you for what you did this morning and what you're going to continue to do. And we just submit to you. And we just honor you, Father, and honor what you're doing. Father, we say thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of seeing your kingdom established in this place. And we say, Lord, do your thing. Have your way. And we do want to be a part of it. And we bless you and honor you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Continue throughout the week to let the Lord do in your heart and soul what he's wanting to do. And just continue to acknowledge that. Amen. And be blessed this week. Amen.